questions. Hasn't science disproved the existence of God? Isn't it bigotry to believe that homosexuality is a sin? Isn't it narrow-minded to believe that there is just one God when our bumper sticker theology says tolerance or coexist? Now, sometimes your gut reaction when your friend asks you those questions might be to go straight to the biblical yes or no answers as if you're Mr. or Mrs. Bible Answer Man or woman. But behind every yes or no question always lies a series of deeper questions, maybe even struggles, fears, challenges. Pastor Jeff always used to call it trial balloons. People would test you out with a little trial balloon to see how you would handle that one before they let you know of what? Their deeper question. And so when someone asks, do you believe the Bible is literally true? There's usually a lot more lying underneath the surface than what meets the eye. You see, those massive issues are like weeds with roots that go incredibly deep. And giving them a simple answer to their simple question oftentimes is like dealing with the weed without pulling up the root. Have you done that recently in your garden where you've taken your shovel that, and uh, just kind of skimmed off the top so that it looks, you know, like it's brown dirt, but you didn't take the time to individually pluck each weed, and a couple of weeks go by, and you put the, the black mat down, you throw some mulch on it, and next thing you know, what do you have? Those same weeds coming back up. What we're going to know this morning is that our worldviews run deep. So to get to the heart of the matter, we need to go back to the foundation. And would you turn your Bibles to Genesis 1? We're going to read verses just 1 and 2, and we're going to see how those questions that our friends asked us are really questions that are much deeper, questions about God, they're questions about ourselves, and they're even questions about the world that we live in. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we find the Christian worldview, the foundation for why we believe what we believe and all of those issues. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Dear God, we just are grateful to be able to open up your word and in this series of the Apostles' Creed to just find and to look at some of the most amazing passages in Scripture. Lord, it is a treat to be able to preach for the first time from Genesis 1 and 2 and this foundational uh, account of how you created everything, and we want to give you the glory. Lord, this week it's been one of uh, humility to realize, Lord, just how to come to an end of yourself, to realize that we are just creatures, that you are the creator. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our independence, our autonomous spirits, where we think that we can rule our own lives and we make ourselves out to be our own master, our own maker. And Lord, we continually find ourselves running from you. And what a foolish errand that is to try to rebel against our creator who speaks the world into existence. God, we pray for humility. I pray, Lord, that today that you would reveal yourself again uh, as a God of power who speaks words, 
who speaks word through his written word, but also speaks to heart and says, let there be light and people can get saved, that we would remember our creator in the days of our youth, well, that we would worship our creator in spirit and truth. And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. So we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and each uh, time we've been taking a word or a theological concept and then going back to the Bible to understand why it says what it says. And what we've been saying is that you need a vocabulary to kind of understand any field of knowledge. There's a lot that I don't know. Science is definitely one of my areas of weakness. For me, there's just clouds. I think going back to seventh grade science, I might remember like Sirius clouds or Cyrus clouds, but that's probably because it's just a radio channel too. You know, I'm not really sure, but those are the thin, wispy ones. But if you are into weather and you have more vocabulary than I do, cloud, you can look outside and you can actually know what's going on. You can begin to appreciate it because you have a vocabulary of knowledge about a certain field, and we need a vocabulary of faith so that we don't misunderstand God, we don't misunderstand the world, and that we don't misunderstand ourselves. That's, that's the sermon outline this morning, in case you didn't get it. Creation helps us. Creation stops us from misunderstanding God, the world, and ourselves. The first one here, creation helps us or stops us from misunderstanding God. Let's see what the passage teaches us first, and what do we first learn about God? we find that God is self-existent. In the beginning, God. Did you notice it doesn't say in the beginning of God? It doesn't say that, does it? In the beginning, God is already there. God is the self-existent one. He is eternal. Psalms 90 verse 1 and 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. There was a time when the creation was not, but there has never been a time when God has not been. So the Bible doesn't teach a dualism that matter or the earth has eternally existed alongside God. No, God is the only eternal being, and he is distinct from his creation. That's foundational for our worldview. It, it, it rules out dualism. It rules out pantheism, that, that God is in nature somehow. There, there are a host of implications for us. We only have time for one. Because God is self-existent, it means that God is not dependent upon anything, or anyone else. Look at our gender. It's foundational. It's here in the creation account, male and female. Normally, we have to be completed by somebody else in marriage. Look at how you were born. You have to be cared for by someone else. For those that went to the Boston trip, to go find healthy churches with teenagers, we learned that we are not God because we need sleep, and not just weekly. We need it every evening. Some of you need it this morning. I am happy to oblige. No, I'm just, but, but <laughs> it's a good thing they don't lean back, right? All right, uh, but we... <laughs> We know that we are, all of that is evidence that we're not God. God made us aware of our dependence upon him, but God is in no way dependent upon anything else or anyone else, or he would stop being God. Look at Acts 17, 24 through 25. 
going to make you turn there because you should underline these verses. It's a fantastic passage of Scripture in which Paul is arguing against uh, the uh, people on Mars Hill. And he's kind of beginning to build a case for Christ from creation. Remember, these are the people that have the unknown God. And Paul begins with seeing an idol to an unknown God and says, well, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Because God is self-existent, it changes the kind of churches that we have. God is not upstairs in heaven saying, I need you to sing one more praise song for me. Would you please pass an offering because my funds for world missions are drying up? If God needed anything, the Bible says, He wouldn't ask you. It changes drastically everything because we serve a God who is self-existent, not dependent upon anything. We serve a God who didn't create us because we were lonely. There are songs that we don't sing in our church to say God created the world because He needed you. No. God did not create you because He needed you. God didn't send Christ because he was needy in some way of another worship song, another praise song. He sent Christ because he wanted you, not because he needed you. We also find in Genesis chapter 1 that God is our creator. God created. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. And that was the first day. There are six days of creation, and they all follow an identical pattern. There's an announcement, and God said. There's a command, let there be light. There is a report, or often a naming. Then there is some kind of evaluation, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness, and then there is a chronology here. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the first day. Almost every day kind of follows that pattern. But we also see that the days of creation are kind of divided into two columns, two triads, two groups of three. Days one through three is what God formed. And days four, five, and six are what God filled them with. It's, it's really kind of an amazing pattern. Think of two columns. Day one, he makes light. Day two, the firmament in the sky. Day three, dry land and vegetation. That's the first column. The second column, four, five, and six, God fills those things. He puts the sun, moon, and stars in the heavens, in the lights. Then he puts the inhabitants in the sky and the sea, the birds and the fish. Day six, he fills the earth with land animals and mankind. So we see this pattern of God preparing days one through three, then God populating days four, five, and six. It's almost like God kind of provides, prepares a kingdom, and then he puts the kings in place over their respective kingdoms. The sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night. He, he creates the kingdom, and then he fills it. 
John 1.3 confirms that it was actually Christ who did this. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God creates out of nothing. And isn't it amazing how God uses the lightest of things, his very breath, to create the most significant realities? He didn't just carry this out over centuries. He carried this out in moments. He speaks things into being. Listen to Psalms 33, verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth feel the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. He has the power to speak, and things happen. This is not a God to be trifled with. This is a God to be feared. Beloved, make sure that you are not in opposition to this God while you are in his universe. Which is why I want to ask, why are there so many of us that are convinced that creation has less scientific weight than evolution? If you believe in a biogenesis, that life comes out of non-life. I'm going to break it down for you. That's just a scientific term. That life comes out of non-life. Do you realize that you have no reason, no explanation for why you are here? You know, centuries ago, people used to believe that pieces of cheese wrapped in cloth, put in a dark corner, after several weeks, produced mice. <laughs> because after several weeks, there was mice in the cloth. Similarly, people thought that Rotten meat produced maggots. Now today we look at those views and we think that's absurd. How could inanimate life, cheese, produce life, mice? But yet many people believe that inanimate matter created human beings. If you are here this morning and you are a non-Christian, please realize you have an interest in settling this matter. Would you consider that it's morally convenient for you to not believe there's a creator? There is no indifferent science. There is no unbiased science. Do you realize here, if you're a non-Christian, that there are probably freedoms that you believe yourself to enjoy that are convenient for you to have all because you don't believe there's a creator. But the Bible teaches that God created something out of nothing and that he created that something out of nothing for something, for a purpose, even for someone. Genesis 1 and 2 is foundation to how we understand who God is, how we understand our world, and even how we understand ourselves. If you don't believe God created the world, you really don't have a good reason for why you exist, which leads us to the third thing that we see in Genesis 1, kind of big picture. We see that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God created the world, and he created how he wanted it. He chose to make it, and here's the logic. If God is the creator of the entire universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the entire universe. 
the author of creation has authority over creation. It's a big point for us. The author has authority, which is why when we get to the creation of man, God speaks to man. He gives him a command, be fruitful and multiply. He gives him a prohibition. Do not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. But then, even after they sin, and he speaks to them again with a curse, we still see hope. God speaks again with a promise in Genesis 3.15. There would one day be someone born of the seed of woman who would destroy the work of the devil. We know that God is sovereign because God speaks to us. He gives us commands. He has the authority. He created order out of formlessness. He even deliberates over different points of creation. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let us have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God said, let us make man in our own image. He purposed that. So what does all this teach us? You can say it both negatively and positively. First of all, it means that you were not an accident. Remember, creation helps us understand ourselves. You are not an accident based upon the creation account in Genesis 1. God created you for a purpose. But if you are here and you believe in natural selection, if you believe in chance, you really don't have a reason for why you are here. You don't have a purpose. And that will dramatically change your view of the world, dramatically change your view of yourself and how to treat other people. Because from apart from knowing your purpose, it's hard to know if something is good or bad. I used to be able to go to Merrimack Valley and have an after-school program, which I got to teach young people about God's Word, and it was kind of my evangelism apologetics boot camp 101. So if you've heard this illustration before, bear with me. It was many years ago. I'm not so sure if there's too many people still here that remember those young life days at Merrimack Valley, but if you were to look at this watch which I wore today. Some of you are thankful that I'm wearing a watch today uh, for other reasons. (laughs) But how do you know if this watch is a good watch? You know, if I look at this watch and I thought that it was a compass, that it was to give me direction, that's what I thought the purpose of it was, well, this watch is then a bad watch. If the purpose of this watch is to hammer nails... It's a very, 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 very bad watch. But if the purpose of this watch is to tell time, then it is a good watch. And if it's true of a watch, how much more is it true of humans? If you're here today and you don't have a purpose for why you exist because there is no creator and you're just a random chance, then you have no idea of being able to define what a good human being is because you don't know what their purpose is. You also have no idea of being able to say, this is a good life. This is a good world. This is the way the world should be. Why is tolerance even a good thing? If you don't even know why we were created. You see, it all follows back to Genesis chapter 1. That creation stops us from misunderstanding God, the world, and ourselves. Positively, the Bible says that you were made. You were designed And because you were intentionally made by God, you have a purpose. Here's your purpose. 
You've been made by God, and you have been made for God. We can align with God's purpose of bringing him glory. Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. How does that impact you today? We're going to get right to the, we're dealing with foundational issues. Let's just go with the most deepest, darkest question that I know some of you have faced, even this year. The question of, why am I alive? Some of us can get that down, that deep, maybe even that dark. And if you're here struggling with why am I alive, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Because if there is any place for it is a safe place to say, I need help, it should be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But if you're here wondering why you are alive, the biblical answer is found in Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27. So God created in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What is your purpose? You are to reflect God's character to God's creation, which is both to the world and to other human beings. We are reflecting beings. We are made in God's image. We are to reflect Him. That's what it means to be made in God's image. And Scripture tells us very clear that every human being is made in God's image, male and female. There is no inequality there. And it is from the foundation of this creation account that we see human identity and human worth is grounded in the fact not of what you produce, not what you contribute to society, not what occupation you have. It's not your identity is not even in your sexuality, as our world wants to tell you today. It is not in your gender. Your human worth and your identity is because you were made in God's image. You have worth because God made you. Not because of what you make of yourself. So Christians, we can't abuse other people because of their gender, because of their nationality, or even because of their station in life. Christians are to respect value, and protect all, even the weakest, which is why on Father's Day we collect baby bottles for CareNet because the weakest are the unborn. So we value life because God created in a womb someone, not something, someone in his image, and we fight and we protect them. Church, our care for creation reflects our love for our creator. That's where it starts. So if we start with who is God, he's self-existent, he's the creator, he's sovereign, it leads us to rightly understand the world. That's our second point. Creation helps us to stop misunderstanding the world. You know that the world is linear? It has a starting point in the beginning, which means it's also going to have an ending point, which completely dismantles reincarnation Karma, which many of us still live by. Oh, I got sick. Did I do something bad last week? Right? Is it coming around? But the creation account says 
that God created something in the beginning. And look at what he says at the end of every single day. We're just going to look at verse 31. At the end of every single day, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Why does he say that in verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, 31? Why does he repeat that? Because he knows that you and me and our experience is that we experience not so many good things. Not so many very good things in this world. I'm not the greatest counsel in the world, but I've gotten to spend many moments with people just this week. And there are signs of brokenness and despair and hopelessness in every single category. We experience on this side of the world many not-so-good things. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, it even is in the church. We know that we are broken. We can be honest about that. But even though God tells us, or even though we've experienced not so many good things, he tells us that everything was created very good so that he could give us a hint that the way that we are experiencing the world was not the way that it always was. And there's a hint, what, in Revelation 21? It's not the way it will always be. Unlike every other religion, we are not content, Christians, with just going to heaven. We get a recreation in which God expunges all evil and suffering and pain, and he creates a new heaven and a new earth for us to enjoy the way it was supposed to be. We don't just have a soul. We get a new resurrected body where we will actually taste food, eat, work, have fun with people, other eternal beings, and a new creation. That's different than what the Muslims believe of heaven. It's different than every other religion believes of heaven. God is making a new heaven, a new earth, and all creation right now is groaning, Romans 8 tells us. Finally, the doctrine of creation stops us from misunderstanding ourselves. Probably the most important point. So if you've fallen asleep, and I've obliged you that you are dependent and that you need sleep every evening and perhaps morning, um, this is the time to kind of come to, all right? How does creation stop us from misunderstanding ourselves? Creation is what grounds our responsibility in God and our accountability to God. In other words, because you owe him your existence, you're responsible to him. It all starts back in Genesis 1. J.I. Packer said this. You should write this down. Man is not his own maker, so he may not think of himself as his own master. Man is not his own maker, so he may not think of himself as his own master. You see, the creation account grounds human responsibility and accountability to God. God has the right to be your judge by the very fact that you exist in his creation. Not only that, your sin even says that God has the right to be my judge. You see, all of us have set ourselves up to be the king of our own universe, and we have committed high treason against our creator. And all week, I have been floored. Talk to Steve Muzzy. We went on a walk this week. I was just saying, he goes, how was your Bible reading? And I said, there's some joy, and there was just some frustration of sin. Because I'm willing to sin against my creator. He says, let no other gods be before me. You know what that means, first commandment? Let no other gods be in front of me, in front of my face. That's pretty hard to do when God's everywhere. 
which means every time I'm sinning, I'm doing it in his presence to the very God who spoke the world into being out of nothing by his very word. He could say one word and he could decimate me. I'm walking around going, and yet I still choose to do that. I can't even stop it. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in me and all that stuff. But, but I find that this war is still in me, even after he has spoken and made me a new creation. He would be just to leave us in our sin of high treason. And friend, be very careful. God outside of Jesus Christ is very terrible. But Jesus Christ came, and he lived the life that we should have lived perfectly, a dependence upon his creator, God. And then he died the death that we should have died. And Mark 10, 45 says he gave his life as a ransom for many. Will you be among the many today? Then repent of your sins and turn and trust in God today. This morning, if you know God, you can know yourself and you can know the world and the way that it's purposed to be. Creation is the foundation for knowing God, our world, and ourselves. Do you know your need of God? Do you know God to know that you are not a God? We've already made several appeals to our non-Christian friends to settle the matter of who made you in the world. But I'll ask you one more time. Will you believe what God says about himself? And will you kneel before your maker on the right side of history? It's a phrase that our world likes to use these days, right? Are you on the right side of history? You can kneel before your God and maker today, and he becomes your friend on the right side of history while you're alive. But if you don't do it on the right side of history while you're alive, Philippians 2.11 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you at that point will be on the wrong side of history. But for believers, if you're here and you're worshiping Christ, how are you going to act to actually reflect, to actually live out that you believe that God is the creator. This is not a sermon for you just to go and have more weapons in your arsenal to debate with people about. The creation account is primarily not, in my opinion, for debate purposes. It is for worship purposes. It is so foundational to everything. So let me just give you one application if you're here. If you believe that God is the creator and you really want to live like that, it ought to remove the temptation from your mind that says, God can't handle this. Just thinking about all the different kinds of people. We have people that are losing their jobs. We have people that have health issues. We have people that are broken in so many kind of categories. Let's just put it in the category for dads on Father's Day. We have kids to raise. Anybody else feel hopeless? I mean, at times, right? I mean, who else is weary? When we think about creation, it ought to remove that doubt that God can't handle this. 
that God can't forgive me for the millionth time. God can't handle my pain or, or my difficult situation. How could God do that? Church, listen. If he created everything out of nothing by his very word, it's pretty much downhill after that. There's hope because you're worshiping a creator. Why wish upon a star when you can pray to the creator who put them there? Let's pray. Dear God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to kneel before you as our creator. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to humble us just over that distinction, that you are distinct from your creation. But Lord, we praise you that in Christ Jesus that you are near, that you don't look at matter as evil or physical as evil or humanness as evil, but you became flesh and you dwelt among us. God, we, we thank you that we got to see you and know you in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that in him we were created and that we were created for him. I pray that those of us that are struggling with our purpose and our identity, that we'd find our worth, that we were created in your image, that you'd give us strength and victory, compassion and love for our neighbors and for this world, that we could reflect our love for our creator by how we deal with everyone and everything in creation. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn. Thanks, Andrew.